Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Easter is such a special time, and I, I love spending time with the body of Christ together uh, during a time where we are focused on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a wonderful time. It's a sweet time. Uh, you know the music well, right? And uh, I love uh, the opportunity to praise and to worship, and I love uh, this year as God orchestrated having the children, the students, and the adults all come together and praise and worship for a multi-generational experience. I think that's so needed in our time, and I appreciate David and all the others that put so much work into that. You know, when we talk about Easter, we talk about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the single most important fact, historically, about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing, uh, barring nothing, that is more important than this. It establishes everything that he said about himself. It establishes everything that he did. He's no ordinary man. He is the God-man. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, and in him there is salvation. In no other is there salvation. In him alone is there salvation. There's forgiveness of sin. There's grace. There's reconciliation with the Father. We can't do this on our own. It's not because of our works. It's not because of anything that we've done, could do, or are expected to do. It's because of what Christ did at the cross for us. And the resurrection establishes this once for all. Sin has been defeated. Death, our arch enemy, has been defeated. Why? Because Christ rose again from the dead. Think about that. We have hope. We have assurance. We have a certain future. Not because of our works, not because we hope. Maybe we've been good enough. Maybe the, the check boxes on the good side outweigh the check boxes on the bad side. We know that in Christ, when we believe in Him, the promise is absolute. We shall have eternal life. What hope! What hope? Friends, do we understand where we are in world history? We're in this moment that's absolutely indescribable to watch, isn't it? We have chaos that seems to be breaking all around us. The hope and the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is needed more than at any other time. More Christians are being martyred today for their faith than at any period of time in human history. The nations are at war with one another. In Christ, we have hope because this world <laughs> is passing away. But we know that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise with it is from God himself, and it is that we shall be saved. Praise God for that truth. What is the gospel? We talk about the gospel all the time, and we, we use this word. The gospel simply means, the literal word means good news. It's good news. Good news about what? The Dallas Cowboys drafting a defensive end in order to make sure that our defense can get off the field because they sacked the quarterback. Oh, come on, come on. I hear Redskin fans laughing. It's... <laughs> 
No, of course not. What's the good news? It's about eternal life. It's about rescue. It's about being saved. It's about the facing of certain death and in eternity in hell versus because of what Christ has done for us, walking with the Lord forever. Good news that is life-changing. John 3.16, I know you've heard this, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, his one-of-a-kind, unique son, no one else that has ever been like him, no one else ever will be like him, that whoever believes on him, whoever believes on him, will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Good news, folks. Not just for us sitting here today, but for all. When we have the opportunity to go and share Christ, when we have the opportunity to walk with the Lord day by day, when we say, Lord, here's my life, use it in whatever way that you choose. His resurrection life being seen and revealed through ours to all that we come in contact with, through our attitudes and our actions, through the decisions that we make, through maybe a kind expression as the Lord leads, whatever it may be, Christ being revealed through us. I love this statement about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The historical facts of the death, burial, resurrection, and post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ validate his offer of eternal life to anyone who believes in him for it. Without those supportable facts, his offer is meaningless. Do you realize that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation for all that God has said can be ours when we believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? If it weren't for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're lost. And all the promises of God mean absolutely nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have a Bible, turn with me there. We're going to spend a little time in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and following. The gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ about salvation, about forgiveness, about eternal life, about hope. Paul writes this to the Corinthian believers. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also I, you received, and which also you stand, by which... Also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now he's writing to believers. But what's interesting here is he brings out two aspects of the gospel. The first is that you believed, you received it. He says it in verse 1, which also you received. You were saved, you were justified, you were made right with God because of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. But the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't just for the unbelievers, it's for believers. And he says this, in which also you do what? You stand. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a moment in time when you're transitioned from darkness into light. When you were lost, but now you're saved. When you were not of God's kingdom, but now you are of God's kingdom. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're part of the family. You've been brought near, not because of good works, but because of the blood of Christ. And from that particular moment, when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you now have a walk 
with the Lord. And he says, in this truth, in this good news, you as a believer having received Christ Jesus, you stand in the gospel. Think about that. As believers, when we have all kinds of attacks from circumstances and situations as we seek to follow the Lord and walk with the Lord, we have a hope and a certainty because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that no matter what happens around us, we know that our future is secure and we stand in the hope and the truth of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Praise God for that truth. When you go through the death of loved ones, As a believer, what do you do? You say, I have hope. I have a certainty. I can stand in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go through circumstances in your life that look like they're going to shred you. Anybody been there? It looks like it's going to defeat you. What do we do as believers? We say yes to the Lord. We take into account the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we stand in the truth of what God has said for us. Verse 3, he says, I delivered to you, and this is Paul writing about the death and the burial and the resurrection. And he's explaining the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. <laughs> See, this isn't just a myth. This isn't just something that was made up. This isn't just something that happened randomly. When the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, it had been prophesied years before exactly what was going to happen to him. And it was according to the scripture. As believers, as Christians, we don't check our brains at the door. This is a historical fact. These are prophecies that took place that were fulfilled. The Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled literally over 350 prophecies. Many of them regarding his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Paul says that I received this. Received this. He didn't make it up. It wasn't because he went to school. He didn't just have a seminary degree and could say, look at the badge that I've got hanging on my wall. This is something that he received from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It wasn't just passed down generationally. It wasn't just because he was Jewish and he had all these different oracles, the word of God itself and the prophecies. It's because God gave it to him. And Paul declares that I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Why did he die? Because of our sin. Friend, we've been born into sin. It's been passed down from Adam through all the generations. And we need to be rescued. Why did Christ go to the cross? Because he knew that without doing that, there would be no forgiveness, there'd be no hope, there'd be no reconciliation, there'd be absolute hopelessness, despair, no purpose in life. Christ went to the cross because of our sin so that when we believe in him, we might be forgiven and made right, made whole once again. 
But this was prophesied over and over. And you can look through the Old Testament. I picked a really small amount. Because if I picked them all, we'd be here for a long time. And some of y'all are cooking lamb and cooking all the rest of the stuff. And I'd be in trouble. It was prophesied that he would die. But that he would be buried in a rich man's grave in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9. It was prophesied how he would die and that he would suffer greatly in Isaiah 9, in Psalm 22, and in Psalm 129. It was prophesied that he would not suffer decay. Now, what do we mean by that? It means when his body was placed into the tomb, his body was not like any other body that has ever been because his body was sinless and therefore it did not decay in the tomb. That was prophesied and it came to pass. Psalm 118 tells us that he would rise again from the dead. There were so many different prophecies that were specific. He was offered wine to ease his pain, that his clothes would be divided as well as lots being cast. He was numbered with the transgressors on and on and on according to the Scripture. The Scripture. According to the very Word of God. His death, his burial, and clearly, as he says in verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to what? The scripture. Well, there were witnesses. This wasn't done just in a vacuum. This wasn't something that people came up with and said, oh, even though he's dead, we'll come up with a plan and concoct something in order to deceive everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. No, this was done in the open. And the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to many. And Paul begins to walk through this. He doesn't necessarily go through all of those that he appeared to. He doesn't talk about Mary and others. But he gives an order. He gives a sequence. And the people that he mentions here or the groups that he mentions are significant. The first is Cephas, meaning Peter. He rose again from the dead and he appeared to Cephas. Who is Peter? He was the leader of the apostles, the twelve. You know, one of the reasons I believe Paul put Cephas first is because he is the leader, but also because he denied Christ three times. Think about that. Why did the Lord appear to Peter? <laughs> put his arm around him. Think about that. Peter saw the resurrected Lord even after he denied him. And then he says, and then the 12. And he's talking about the 12 apostles. And he's looking back, so he's including Matthias in, that, in this. Judas committed suicide. He's looking back, and so he includes the one that they chose. But in the midst of that, these guys all saw the resurrected Lord. They all recognized him. They were astonished because the Lord appeared to them, came to them told them, touch me, handle me. It's me. And they were able to give testimonies of the reality of the resurrection of Christ. He goes on, he says, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Now think about that. Why would he say that? Why would he appear to a group of 500 people at one time? I would suggest to you, Gary Habermas has written articles on this. Many have written on this. But I would suggest that the Lord did this specifically to take away the idea that somehow 
these believers had concocted something, and psychologically, they had been tricked. I don't know, when you have a group of 500 people together and the Lord appears at that particular point in time to all of them, there is something about that that is monumental. And what Paul goes on to say is that most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, meaning some as believers have gone on to be with the Lord, but most of whom remain until now. This was probably about a time period of 30 to 35 years from the time this took place to the time of the writing of Corinthians. Now, let me ask you something. If you were uh, looking into the story about the Lord Jesus Christ and you wanted to find out whether it was really true or not, and you found out that somebody had been part of that 500 and was still alive. And through uh, Facebook at that particular point in time or Snapchat or the internet and all the different ways of doing that, wouldn't you go and try to find out who it is that that person was so that you could go and talk to them? Think about that. What if if you hadn't seen the resurrected Lord? Wouldn't you want to know somebody that had? And wouldn't you want their testimony concerning the Lord and what he had done? I, I think we can historically come up with all kinds of people that we've never met. Has anybody in here ever met Hank Aaron? Well, you better come and shake my hand. If you're a baseball fan, anyway. If not, get a life. <laughs> I came to, I came to uh, in high school, I came to our field the one day, and we were preparing to play a game, and suddenly one of my friends whispered to me, hey, Hank Aaron's up in the, up in the bleachers. I said, do what? Come on, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's up there. I looked up, and sure enough, Hank Aaron was there. I recognized him immediately. He had some family with him, some friends. I guess they were on vacation. I don't even know why he was coming to the game other than he was just passing through. And so I got to go up and say, hey, it's an honor to meet you. Now, I can testify about something that you've never experienced. Do you believe me? <laughs> Guess what? There's other witnesses that were there that day. So you can go check with them, too. Now, I won't tell you who they are, but, you know. <laughs> What's the point? The point is simply this. He appeared to 500 at one time, most of whom remain until now. Some have fallen asleep, but you can go talk to them. You can go find out. You can go ask them questions. You can ask them about their experience, and not just one of them, but many of them. And they will testify to the truth and the veracity of the claim that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Verse 7, he says, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. James, why is that significant? Because he's the half-brother of Christ. (laughs) Now think about that with me, right? Can you imagine James growing up with the Lord? Mama's pet. Never makes a mistake. Never has a bad attitude. Always does what he's supposed to do immediately without complaining, without griping, except for that little thing in Jerusalem where he kind of went about his father's business and they went into a panic. I bet James really held that against the Lord for a long time. But we know that wasn't sin. We know that he was about his father's business. Think about it. Why does he say James, the half-brother of Christ? Because there's nobody that knows us better than our family. 
There's nobody that knows us better than my family. My son, Jonathan, my daughter, Holland, my wife, Stephanie, know me better than any of y'all. James knew the Lord. He grew up with him. He watched him. He observed him. He didn't believe in him at a particular point in time. And later he came to believe that Jesus, his half-brother, is truly the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord. Amazing. And he says then to all the apostles. Now he's not talking about the 12 here. He's talking about all those who had witnessed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and been called to be missionaries, to take the gospel into areas that had never heard the gospel. All the apostles. What what an amazing array of people, different times, different places, different groups to establish something so that years and years later, for all those who are coming to Hoffmantown Church on Sunday morning to celebrate Easter, We can look at the veracity of the word of God, the truth of the word of God. We can look at the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ and we can look back and we can say, yes, it's an established fact. We can believe in that. We don't check our brains at the door as believers, friends. We yield our will to Christ. Paul places himself in this last and it's interesting because He says, last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now, why does he say that? Well, he goes on to explain, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I did what? I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you Believed Again, writing to the Corinthian believers. Why does Paul place himself in this? Well, first of all, because he's an apostle, but also because he saw the resurrected Lord and he was radically changed. He was a persecutor of the church. In other areas in Scripture, he calls himself uh, somebody who literally was trying to kill believers and enjoyed it. That's how messed up he was. He thought he was doing God a favor by getting rid of Christians. And then he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And he says, my Lord, (laughs) my Lord. See, Paul, as a persecutor of the church, had his life radically changed. Not because he followed a list of rules and regulations. He was very good at that. But because he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget a dear mentor of mine, Spiro Zodiades, uh, studied with him for years. But he looked at me one day and he said, Eric, he said, why was Paul so bold? Why was he so bold? I mean, think about it. How many cities and towns did he go into where he knew he was going to get persecuted, he was going to get beaten, he was going to get possibly thrown into jail, his life may be forfeit? How many times did he do that? And yet he kept on and kept on and kept on. And I was trying to think of all kinds of phenomenal answers, right? Deep soteriological stuff. (laughs) The Spiros looked at me and he said, because he believed in the resurrection. Bingo. 
because he knows where he's headed, because he knows the hope that he has in Christ, because he knows that in this life, it's ultimately all about the Lord. And what we suffer today doesn't even compare to heaven and the glory that we've been promised in Christ Jesus. In verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives his concluding argument, and he says, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If the dead are not raised, if Christ did not resurrect from the dead, if he did not stand up again, if he did not defeat death. Let me summarize that for you. If Christ did not rise again from the dead, then our testimony is not true about Christ. He's not the Lord. We have no eternal life because his promise is a farce. Our sins have not been forgiven. We still are left to struggle in some way of what is it that this world is all about? What is it that we're supposed to be doing? We could go even to deeper levels in, in the sense of philosophy. What is good if Christ didn't rise again from the dead, if he's really not the Lord, if there's no sin, and if our sins haven't been forgiven, then we can believe what the evolutionists tell us. Go live whatever way you want, and it's all good. Our faith, our belief is in vain. Those who've already died believing in Christ have perished they're not in heaven with the Lord. We don't have any hope of seeing our loved ones again. We who worship the Lord, if the resurrection did not take place, are most to be pitied. Why are we even here today? Why do we celebrate Easter? So what is the gospel? The gospel is the coming of Jesus Christ to earth. It's about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, providing the opportunity for all to receive forgiveness of sin, a renewed relationship with God himself, and everlasting life. The gospel is a historical fact. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a historical fact. It is the power of God to change lives. From what? From death to life. From death to life. From bondage to freedom. From slavery to sonship. From hopelessness to hope and assurance. From hatred to love. From misery to joy. From chaos to order. From fear to peace. And not just any peace, but peace with God. <laughs> Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today? 
Can you honestly say that? Can you honestly say in your heart, absolutely unequivocally, that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have believed in him alone for forgiveness of my sin in order for forgiveness to take place and to be saved. And are you able to stand in that? Are you able to stand in that? As believers, are we able to look back and we know that there's a period of time where change took place in our lives, where God came in and we were changed. And we know the hope of the glory of Christ. We know the reality of our Lord because we have the privilege of experiencing him day by day and we trust him for what he has promised. I love the story in Acts of the Philippian jailer and the conclusion of that where the Philippian jailer says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Paul gives the simplest but most profound statement concerning salvation. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust him? Are you willing to say, Lord, I receive the forgiveness that you offer as believers, are we standing in that truth, in that promise? Are we looking forward to the return of our Lord? Are we walking with him day by day so that we are being changed and transformed so that Christ's life and his resurrection life is being revealed in and through us? Are we ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 